It's God's light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine. As children, we were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. This friend uh, that has been in my life since I was since I was in high school, really, and he's uh, he's this evangelistic atheist. And uh, what I mean by that is that he is opposed to the Lord in every way, and he is working hard to bring more people into his system of belief. And uh, often there have been a couple times that we've gotten. Um, I've had to shut down some things on Facebook with people in our church, and 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 this guy has frustrated me many times. Uh, one of our one of my good friends, who's also a pastor, we're mutual friends with this guy. Uh, this pastor friend of mine, his son died, and um, and this atheist friend of ours looked at him and said, "Where was God? God was really good to you, wasn't he?" And he's just so frustrating to me. There are times that I think, it just makes me so mad, I don't know what to do. And um, I've looked at him and thought, there's no way that guy's going to ever come to Christ. No way. But um, when I have that thought, I, I remember Saul. We're in Acts chapter 9 today. And, uh, and, and Saul is this guy, and I don't know if you know somebody that it's in your life or maybe somebody around that you think they will never come to Christ. They will never turn to Jesus. That's Saul. Saul was this guy that Acts chapter 9 tells this story, and, and, and this is the moment that, that he had this personal encounter with Christ. See, God is powerful. God is faithful. God is in pursuit of people. And, I, and I, it's interesting because this friend of mine, he sent me a message the other day privately on Facebook, and he said, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, we disagree on just about everything in life, but I want you to know I'm grateful for you. And I said, you know, me too. I love you. And so, so you, I, I keep thinking that God is still at work. And, 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 you know, we're in this series called Ecclesia, which is this this, um, this idea that the word ecclesia means church it, it, it the definition is called out ones that that we are called out by God to go engage a world that is opposed to Christ uh, we're, we're to engage a world that is lost without Christ because what do lost people do lost people act lost and, 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 you know, it's important for us to recognize that we're called to go to our family, go to our friends, we're to go to our co-workers, our neighbors. We're to, we're to be witnesses for Christ. I mean, I mean, the Bible calls us as we're lights to the world. We're, our lives are like cities on a hill that can't be hidden. And that's what it means to be the church. And, and it's important that we understand and embrace this call that we're to go outside these walls. 
Now, Acts chapter 9 is a a phenomenal passage of Scripture. Today, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, would you open it there? And let's stand together and read God's Word as we continue this journey as the church is called out by God to make a difference in the world. Now, verse 1 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, when it comes to Saul's conversion, and this is, this, is a, this is one of the most significant moments in the history of the church. And this had profound a profound impact on our lives. And, and it's, in, it's important that, that Saul's conversion, there, there are three places in the book of Acts that, that this conversion is referenced. Right here in chapter 9, Saul also has a, uh, when he became Paul, he gives a defense of his, of his faith. He shares his testimony in two locations in chapters 22 and 26, and he refers back to this moment. This was a huge moment in his life. This was a huge moment for the church. And, and, it's, and we, can't think, we can't forget, as we look at this passage, what's going on here. And, and we got to remember the context of, of what's happening in the church. And, and the, the apostles, they, they were with Jesus, and it wasn't too long before this that, that, that Jesus was crucified, like what we remembered with the Lord's Supper. And this was a devastating moment for the apostles because they thought all their dreams are, it, it's crushed. They didn't, what is happening? We've lost the Messiah, the one we thought was going to rescue us, has been crucified in the worst way possible. I mean, crucifixion was known as if you were crucified, you were cursed by God. And here is Christ, the one they thought that was going to rescue them, was experiencing this cursing. Oh, it's over. Well, then, three days later, he appears to them. And they're like, oh my goodness, you're not dead. How is this possible? And, and then for 40 days, Jesus taught them. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting with Jesus after he had risen from the dead and he's teaching you? I'm telling you, you're soaking up every word, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be like, I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to wake up and sit with Jesus because I went to his funeral and he, he conquered the grave. What, do you, what, do, what can I learn from you, Jesus? And I, I would love to, when we get to heaven, to watch the video of, of what Jesus taught and, and to hear about what lessons he taught them, how he made connections with the, the Old Testament and the, the apostles are like, oh my goodness, I get it now, I understand now. And, and, and then 
the apostles were, were standing there the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven. I mean, and they're going, oh, my goodness. And then the, the, the message came that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1-8, and you'll be my witnesses all over the place. And then, then a few days later, Pentecost happened, and, and, and the Holy Spirit came, and, and people are coming to faith in Christ. Lives are being changed all around them. And you would think that all these religious leaders, all these officials, would look at all this life change and go, wow, there's something significant here. But what happened was guys like Saul ramped up the persecution. They were, Saul took it upon himself that, hey, I'm going to stop this thing. Look, at, look back at verse 1. Because um, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul's like, look, I'm going to go destroy this thing called the way. And what's interesting to me is, is, is when you look at, 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 at persecution, you would think that when persecution happens, that that would, stamp, that would cause Christians to back up. But, but what happens here persecution starts going on the the apostles get arrested they get beaten stephen is killed and and what happens is they go all over getting more bold and this is what's interesting about persecution and you can trace this all through history that that when christians face persecution the church grows when christians face a culture that is accepting of christianity the church declines now, this happens all through history. Now, what's interesting right now, as I look at our culture, we're, we're, getting, we're, we're seeing a culture right in front of our eyes move further and further away from the gospel. Just th this weekend, I read an article about a, a superintendent in, in Springfield, I think it was, that, that prayed at his, at his graduation and is facing all kinds of backlash because he used the name of Jesus. And it's interesting that, that, that our culture is getting more and more opposed to the gospel. Just several years ago, uh, when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma City, I was asked to speak at Putnam City West Baccalaureate. And, and Rick Thompson, who was one of the pastors, the senior pastor at our church, was speaking at Putnam City North's Baccalaureate. Putnam City School District, at that time, got a letter from the Freedom From Religion Foundation threatening lawsuits if we have a religious ceremony. And so the, for the first time in the history of Putnam City School District, they sent a letter to all their students saying, baccalaureate is now optional. You don't have to go because it's a religious ceremony. And what's interesting is right before our eyes, we're watching a culture move further and further away from the gospel, away from Christ. But you know, when I look at that, I get more excited. I, I, that, that's kind of exciting to me because we have been complacent in the church. And what's exciting is that as I look at the future, I think that God's going to give us boldness to stand for Christ. Now, this is what's going on in and you see Saul, and he's like breathing out murderous threats. 
and, and he's got this official letter that he can arrest men or women. And he's on his way to, because remember, the, the, all the Christians, they scattered. But they didn't scatter and keep their mouths shut. They scattered and started talking about Jesus, which is incredible to recognize. And Saul's like, I'm going to round these guys up. We're going to stamp this out once and for all. Now, what's interesting is, is uh, Saul thought he was doing what was right. He thought, man, this is a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm representing the Old Testament law. I'm doing what's right. But in fact, he was rebelling against God. Now, the first point today, I want us to see this. Do you know that rebelling against God never works? It will never work. If you rebel against God, whether you know it or not, it just won't work. I mean, Saul, if you would have talked to him, said, no, I'm, I love Moses. I'm keeping the law. But, but in fact, here he is rebelling against God. And, and it's interesting because as you, a lot of times we look at Saul and think, oh, this is this instantaneous experience. And, and sure, this was a big moment. But I think God was working on Saul for a long time because Luke, as he writes this story, writes Acts for us, God used him, inspired him. He points out that when Saul was at Stephen's death, he's holding the coats, and he heard Stephen preach, and we don't know if Saul knew Jesus. I mean, he was likely the same age or pretty close to the same age. He was around Jerusalem during this time. I don't know if he heard him preach. We just don't have any evidence of that. We do know that Saul is very familiar with what Jesus taught and with the apostles, but one of the things that I think that when Stephen, his face looked like that of an angel and Saul is standing there looking that God is beginning to work in his life. And he amps up the persecution saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against this. I'm going to stamp this out. And, and, but, but we know that, that Saul, who became Paul, understood that rebellion against God doesn't fulfill you. Because he wrote in Galatians chapter 6, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And here's what Saul was doing. He was mocking God, saying, You are not the Messiah. But he, just, he wrote, No, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That he also will, whatever one sows, he, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And you see Saul in this moment of rebellion, and he's, and he's reaping corruption. I mean, Stephen's death was unjust. I mean, they made up these charges. And here was Saul, had legal documents that could make up charges to put people to death. And now here's a couple of things about this. The, the, the path of rebellion is always progressive, and I want you to see that. That if you're rebelling against God, and maybe, and, and as I prayed through this, I thought, you know what, Th there might be somebody that walks in our door today, that this is where they are, They're, they've got their hand against God saying, God, I'm not going to follow you, God, I will not listen to you, that's where Saul was, and if that's where you are, oh, I, I got to tell you that sin and rebellion will always take you further than you want to go, that, that it's, it's, this morning, I want to get in your way and say, if that's where you are, don't, don't keep going that way. Don't keep your hand up to God and saying, God, I'm not going to follow you. See, 
the path of rebellion is always progressive. The consequences of rebellion are always costly. I mean, the price tag for sin is, is more than you want to pay. And it's just not worth it. This rebellion against God, that, that if that's where you are, it's just not worth it. And Saul, that's where he was. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't going to pay off. And, and we know that Saul, when he became Paul, was constantly plagued by his past. We know this. You know, the res- results of rebellion are always disappointing. Now, I want you to know that about it. If you go against God, you will forever be disappointed. The world will never deliver what it promises. Rebelling against God will never deliver for you, ever. And and it's it's interesting because I see believers and non-believers rebel against the voice of God. My atheistic friend, I mean, it's not going to deliver what he thinks. You know, I've had, I know believers in my life that are rebelling against the voice of God, thinking this is going to be better, and it never is. And it's my prayer that we recognize that rebelling against God will never work. I mean, just this Friday, it was a few days ago, one of my high school friends came to see me, and his name's Chuck, and, and when I, Chuck was our senior class president and at Moore High School and was just a valedictorian. He was really fun and smart. He was a phenomenal wrestler, went to the University of Missouri to wrestle. He was just, I loved having a tough friend because I was a tennis player, you know. And so, you know, tennis players, you know, you don't go, hey, I'm a tennis player. Ooh, ooh, ooh watch out for that guy, you know. But, but I liked having my wrestler friend who was, hey, Chuck can handle people. Um, but, but I witnessed to him in high school and he never, ah, I'm Chris, I don't know, man, I don't I don't believe that. He goes to Missouri, and then he drops out and goes, pursues an acting career and tries to be famous, and, and, and all his pursuits just fall short. And right after our 10-year reunion, we lost track of each other, and right after that, he contacted me because he had, had a tragedy on this movie set where one of his good friends walked into his trailer and committed suicide, shot himself in the head, killed himself. Chuck got drunk one day, walked into First Southern Dell City, drunk. And in the middle of the afternoon, middle of the day, and, and some staff member there led him to Christ. And he comes to see me Friday, and I'm, I'm looking at Chuck, and I'm thinking, and he's talking about how God is at work in his life, and I'm just like, it's so amazing. You know, my, my friend discovered that rebelling against God just doesn't work. And I want you to know that. You know, the second thing you see in this passage that no heart is outside the reach of God. And this is what you see in, in this, look at verse 3. And, and Saul, as he went on his way, he pr- approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. I mean, this is the middle of the day in the Middle East. Okay, it's bright there. And all of a sudden, this light is, overshadows the daylight. You know, that's, a, that's an incredible thought. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, right here, this is not Saul confessing that Jesus is Lord of his life. I mean, this is, uh, a lot of translators will say, this is, who are you, sir? Now, Saul obviously knew this is somebody that is, deserves my respect. This voice is one that I need to say, yes, sir. And, and, he, and he said, 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I can imagine Paul going, oh, uh, excuse me? <laughs> well, I don't think, he didn't have to say excuse me. I think he got it the first time. And I think he's going in his mind like, I'm on the wrong team right now. And, and he's wrestling with this. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And this is interesting to me, and I love this, that, that, I mean, you could argue, well, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the Christians. But see, Christ is in us. And isn't it interesting that when someone opposes us as believers, they're opposing God himself? Doesn't that give you confidence? That gives me more confidence than having Chuck, my wrestler friend, beside me as a tennis player. We have God defending us. That's why when I look at the persecution that we're facing, or, or, and maybe it's not us, and this is one of the things I've thought about over and over again, maybe you and I won't be the ones facing the persecution that the Bible describes in America. I mean, I think we'll face persecution in America. Maybe it's our children. It's our grandchildren. Now think about the influence of a grandfather, a grandmother has on a grandchild. The, how we should be raising up kids that love Jesus, that know how to walk with God, that we pass on a faith to them. And this is why it's important. What if, what if it's not us that are facing the intense persecution, but my grandchildren? I don't know what it's like to have grandchildren, thankfully, right now. But, but I know how much you just ache in love for your grandchildren. And what if we are supposed to inspire them and walk with Jesus in front of them in such a way that no matter what persecution comes, they say we will stand for Jesus. It's important that we walk with God. You know, but the point, I don't want to get off, that's, I'm just preaching now, but no heart is outside the reach of God. Saul, you see right here, he... he, he he says, verse 5, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city. You'll be told what to do. You know, when, when Paul shared his testimony in Acts 22, he said this. He said, I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. I mean, this, he's a bad guy. Saul's a bad guy. He's, he's dragging men and women into prison unjustly he made up charges with Stephen and 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 Stephen didn't do what they said he did and then they rushed and they killed him they murdered him and he's a bad guy the high priest as, as I can imagine when when Saul Paul is before the chief priest in Acts 22 and they're like hey you remember I'm the one that came to you to get the get the decrees and they're like I know what happened to you man and, and it's interesting that, that Saul was one of these bad guys, but to see no heart is outside the reach of God. Now, here's what I want us to see today, that no matter what you've done, God is willing and able to forgive and restore. 
And you may walk, have walked in the room. I've had people come to me and say, oh, man, I can't come to church. If I come to church, the walls would fall in on me. I can't come to church. Let me tell you something. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's forgiveness is greater than that. And I guarantee you, there is nobody in this room that has been more wicked than Saul. And I want you to see that God's forgiveness can reach you. And, and he can restore you and forgive you. I've seen this. I've known ladies that have had abortions. One of my greatest youth workers in Oklahoma City had struggled through, a, through abor- an abortion. And had experienced the forgiveness of God and the hope. Now, now, it still hurt her heart that that happened to her. But I'll tell you, God, God brought her through that. I've seen men that have walked away from their wives and marriages restored. I, I've watched it happen. And I want you to know that God can restore your life no matter where you are right now. And I know people that have said, you know, I've gone too far. That's not true. God can restore you. My, my prayer is that you, like Paul, you, um, you turn to Jesus. But, but some, some of us have been impacted by, in the wake of people that have rebelled against God. And I want, I want to challenge us with something. we got to pray for God to change hearts. And this is something I pray we do, that, 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 that this person, when I said, do you know somebody that you would think, man, they would never come to Christ? Let's pray for God to change their hearts. I pray for my atheistic friend that God would change his heart. Sometimes I wonder if God will. But I pray he will. I pray his heart is changed. I, I, I want to trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. And, and see, this is who we have to be, and what we have to do is, 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 is trust what God is going to do. And, and the, old, the New Testament believers right here couldn't believe it that Saul would come to Christ. Saul would become a believer. No way. But that's what happened. Verse 8. He says, Jesus said to him, go into the town and I'll tell you what to do. So what does he do as soon as God spoke to him? Verse 8. Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And I think this three-day period was phenomenal in Saul's life. I think as he is blind, as he can't see physically, he started seeing perfectly. Not physically. But as he started putting these things together... I mean, Saul was a teacher. He had studied the prophets. He had studied the Old Testament. He had studied the law. And see, these men that studied these things should have been expecting Jesus. And many of them did. Many of them came to realize, wait, Jesus is the Messiah that we've been looking for. Because what's interesting is Saul was looking for a Messiah. He just didn't recognize him when he And in this three-day period, I think Saul is going, I'm wrong. It's him. It's Jesus. And and, and here's the third point I want us to see today, that that what, what was God doing? God broke Saul. He broke him. And and here's the here's the thing: brokenness 
is the path to a changed life. You see, sometimes we walk into a church setting and we're, and we're just unwilling. God, I'm not going to listen to you. God, I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to you. But God is, is moving in us and he's breaking us of our will, breaking us of our own way. And, and, I, and I think in this moment, Saul was this smart guy and he had studied these things. And in this three-day blindness period, I think Saul is recognizing Jesus is who he said he was. And can I tell you, it's my prayer that, that everyone in this room comes to recognize that Jesus is who he said he was. And he will do what he said he will do. You know, um, uh, I can't wait to get to heaven and sit down with, with Paul and say, what did what, you think about during those days? What, what, what was it like? What, what was going on in your mind? What, what were you piecing together? And, and I love it how Saul constantly, as he shared his testimony, looks back and says, man, Jesus changed my life. This encounter broke him. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever watched someone you know and you prayed for and you cared about? And you watch God just break their heart. You know, when, when I was a youth minister years ago, we, we used to do this event called Big Weekend. And uh, I love this. It. like our Elevation Weekend. It was a weekend retreat, and, but it was all in town. And, and uh, there was a kid named Chad that was in my, my youth ministry. And his dad was a deacon, and Chad was one of these kids that, you know, I loved him, and I was in his life. He'd go to camp, but his parents would say, get your rear up, and we're going to church. And they, you know, he, was, he had a drug problem. He, his parents drug him to church all the time. And so, um, I was kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. But, um, but Chad was, um, he really, his parents signed him up for big weekend, and he really didn't want to come. But he grabbed his friend Cody, and that made it, sustainable for that weekend. Well, the first night, Chad and Cody snuck out of the, of the house. And they were sophomores, and sophomores aren't very smart, and so they got caught, okay, because you get caught. We're, this is not like our first rodeo with this thing. And, and so, so they got caught, and, and, and the next morning, we come for recreation, and Chad had to sit and deal with me. And so he's in my office with Cody, and they're standing there, and, and I was like, Chad, man, what do you think? And he got really mad. And he stood up without thinking and dropped a four-letter word in my face and told me what I could do. And, it, and, and I think all of us were surprised, including him, because he kind of lost his cool. And, and when he said this, his eyes go like this, like, I can't believe I just said that. And, I, and, I, and I'm I like, outside of playing tennis, I'm a very calm person, okay? And, and I, I am, it takes a lot to really get me mad, but I'm mad in this moment. And I looked at him, and I said, what'd you just say to me? And he's like, and Cody is lost kid standing there, and, and he's like, ah, I can't, this is really awkward. And I said, Chad, what, what would your dad say if I called him right now and told him what you just said to me? And he hadn't thought that far in advance. 
And his eyes got really, really terrorized. And I said to him, and, and I, don't, I don't, this had to be from God because I, I'm not smart enough to think of this. And I stood up and I was like, hey, I'm going to tell you what grace is. Grace is a gift that you've been given that you don't deserve. And let me tell you what mercy is. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. And you know what you deserve, buddy? You deserve a phone call to your father about what you just said to me. But let me tell you something. I calmed down a little bit. I said, I'm not going to do that on one condition. That you go and plug in to the rest of this weekend. And if you do it, and Cody, you better do it too. Then I won't call your dad. But if you mess up again, hey, there's no more grace. It's all law, okay? And I'm calling him. And I'm telling him everything. And surprisingly, Cody took me up on it. Well, that night was our, our service. And, and uh, this guy gets up and preaches the gospel. And, and uh, Zane Newton just did a phenomenal job sharing the gospel. And, and I looked up as that invitation started. And I look over at Chad. And he is like to my right side at the altar, and he is on his face coming to Jesus. And that night, he got saved. And it changed his life. You know what's amazing is, is, is right after that, Cody walks down the aisle. Cody comes to Christ. Did you know that about, they were sophomores at the time. Cody was a wrestler at PC West. When Cody was 19, he contracted meningitis. And he was the first funeral of a teenager I ever preached. And I'm so grateful that at his service, I got to stand up and say, I remember the night that Cody came to Jesus. Now, I want you to know something. God is all about changing hearts. God is all about transforming lives. And, and see, this is, this Acts 9 is the moment that one of the most rebellious hearts had a transformation. And it all started with a personal encounter with Jesus. Have you had that? Have you, have you met Jesus? Oh, I pray. That, that if, if you haven't, you know what? Today we're going to have an invitation. And in fact, we're going to have it right now. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I've never had an encounter with Christ. Boy, would you, would you trust us? And, and, and we're going to have some staff members up here. And what, what, if you came down and wanted to investigate that, what's that like? And what's that? What does it mean to come to know Christ? What does it mean to put my faith in Jesus? You know, you could come right now and we could open God's word and show you how Jesus can transform your life. Maybe you're here today and, and there's somebody that you love and you know whose hearts are far from God. 
Can I tell you that there is no heart outside of the reach of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords? So would you, maybe you need to come and just pray for him. Maybe you need to come and pray for endurance like I have to often with with my, my buddy. Lord, give me endurance to love him. Give me endurance to stay engaged with him in spite of what he has said. Would you, would you be one of those people? And, and I, I know I'm a broken record when I say this. Like Hebrews 3.15 says, As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That, that this is a day that when you hear his voice, that you move when God tells you to move that you give in to the voice of God, man, that's, gosh, that's where we need to live.